You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. Welcome back to another episode of the Woodsman Podcast, where we'll talk everything Pennsylvania outdoors. If you enjoy deer hunting, fishing, trapping, or just being outside, this podcast is for you. Our goal is to showcase the vast opportunity that the Pennsylvania Woodsman can experience. We hope this inspires you to get out and enjoy God's creation in the Keystone State. Hey, hey, we're finally back, and it's not because I've been so busy hunting I haven't had time to record a podcast. Uh, It's been because our scheduling is absolutely crazy this time of year, and I'm sure everybody that's listening knows what that's like to some degree. You've got fall sports, you've got fall this, you've got fall that, you've got family activities coming up around Halloween, and things get chaotic. And uh, I'm no different. We've uh, we've done a little bit of hunting here. Nowhere near as much as we want, but that's because we're uh, crazy hunters. We always want to be in the woods, right? We had a little bit of scheduling conflicts here and a little bit of technical difficulties. So just to uh, catch you up to speed of what's been going on this past month, um, we, rep- we, we recorded a podcast with Phil Holcomb. Uh, Holcomb is from Sullivan County. He is an avid archery hunter, and he's... Uh, he, he takes a lot of similarities to me in this respect that he has a small uh, micro parcel that he wanted to talk about, and we caught up and talked about that. And unfortunately, with some technical difficulties with audio, um, we decided not to air that podcast. And we're going to hopefully have Phil back on at another time and catch up with him because he's got a lot of good ideas that I think you 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 know everybody that's listening needs to hear. But um, due to those technical difficulties, we, uh, we, we backtracked a little bit and uh, weren't able to, 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 to get something out here in a timely manner. But we're back, and one of the things I really wanted to talk about with you guys today is, you know, we are in the heart of what is, in my opinion, the greatest time of year. We are in the last part of October, approaching into November, and there's already some good deer hitting the ground 
in the world of archery season. There's some bear hitting the ground. I think we're up to almost 800 bear in the state being killed with the concurrent muzzleloader and archery seasons. So check that out, guys. If you haven't checked out the Penn State, uh, the Pennsylvania Game Commission's website, check that out with the harvest data for bear. But anyway, the rut is one of the most hot. It's it's got to be the hottest topic that that is. Uh, discussed across the hunting world today when does it start how is it going to start when is the best time to be in the woods how's your strategy to go in the woods and there's uh, there's a lot of great advice out there um, if you if you pick and choose through it there's a lot of bad advice there's a lot of advice that can mislead you and take you know cause you to take some vacation days that would probably be unnecessary or view at specific time of the year better than another that you're going to miss out on some great opportunities. So I really want to take the time today to talk about my strategy as we're in the pre-rut and rut phases, how that's going to look for me and, and balancing time appropriately. And I'm just going to try to share with you a little bit of facts as far as the rut goes. Uh, we've got some, some stuff I want to share from research done at Penn State. And you can find it on the Pennsylvania Game Commission's website. And I'm going to try to interpret that as best I can. And we're going to go from there. And and I'll I'll give you a little sneak peek at what's coming ahead after this episode. We're going to have some episodes on uh, Pennsylvania bear hunting. And hopefully we're going to do some stuff on muzzleloader because Lord knows it's going to be December before we know it. As much as we hate to think about that when we're not even through bear season and rifle season yet. But this time of year always slips by and we want to be prepared. So hope you enjoy this. Sit back and here we go. Okay, so the wonderful, wonderful rut. What does that mean to you? Think about that statement, the rut. How do you historically choose what days you're going to hunt, and what is your definition of that? That's the key thing there. What is the definition of the rut? Because year in and year out, um, I'll have people talk to me. Um, you'll, you'll read in magazines. You'll listen to other podcasts. You'll listen to all kinds of stuff. And people have a lot of ideologies of what the rut actually is. And, you know, I think well, you know, well-rounded, well-experienced whitetail hunters have a pretty good idea of how you decipher the rut from the beginning to the end. And if you're like me, there was a time where you were learning and listening to a lot of people, and it was really hard to weave through what those people were referring to when they talked about phases of the rut and the time frame. But here's the first one. Um, A couple weeks ago, a good friend of mine contacted me, and he asked me, he said, I want to get your opinion. When is the rut going to start? I told him, I said, call me. It's going to be way easier to explain this than it is over text. And I, I said that because it's extremely important to me that you think about the definition of the rut. So before we get into any hunting and technical terms of the rut, I, I want to read this definition to you. The rut is a periodic term. Uh, I'm sorry. It's a period or often annual recurring state of certain male animals, such as deer or elk, during the behavior associated with the urge to breed being displayed. And the secondary part of that is the period of time during which the rut occurs or the breeding season. 
Now think about that. That sounds pretty generic. That shouldn't surprise you that it was displayed that way. But let's talk about how that definition gets molested in the hunting industry. I think a lot of people are quick to say their favorite day to hunt is November 7th, uh, Halloween, um, November 15th. I've heard it as a, as a good day. I've heard stuff say that the, the tail end of the rut toward, uh, you know, or November 21st to 24th, I've heard as being fantastic times in some people's opinions. Um, everybody's got their opinions as far as the time frame, and I'm not saying you're wrong. But a lot of the time, hunters are referring to the rut occurring based on when you are seeing active rut-like behaviors on the stand. Everybody thinks of the rut, buck chasing doe, and a giant free-for-all frenzy. And that's partly partially what the rut is. That's why we get so carried away with it this time of year and, and, and want to be hunting this time of year because it's an exciting time to be in the woods. But we all know that there's been times of the year or, or hunting seasons past where late October we saw fantastic rutting behavior. And then the first week of November was a dull, dull time. Likewise, you might see the opposite. Early part of November might be slow and then you get in somewhere between the 7th and the 15th and it just seems like it was on fire. I think another thing that's interesting is you can be on stand some years and I've had this happen to me where you think you're in the right position and it's dead. And yet a couple hundred yards away from you, one of your buddies is hunting and they're having the time of their life with the amount of buck sightings that they're seeing and buck chasing doe. It's a really chaotic time of year. And I think there's reasons for that, why you'll see those ups and downs. And we're going to dive into those in just a second. So moving on with this rut definition, as I said, we're going to, we're going to think about this podcast. I want you to think about the definition of the rut being peak breeding, because scientifically that's what biologists are referring to with the rut most times. They're really not referring to rut-like behavior, which can occur early or later from the swing. They're, they are mainly talking about the distribution of breeding period. And <clears throat> the great thing about Pennsylvania is we have great data um, supporting when the rut occurs. And you can look right up on Pen Pennsylvania Game Commission's website when that, it, when that occurs. Nearly 25%, which is the majority and the top of the bell curve, nearly 25% of adult does are bred between November 12th and November 18th. Now let that soak in for a second. November 12th to November 18th. You got a six-day period there. Actually, it would be an eight-day period. Um, you've got a week-long period where... The majority of the breeding is happening. Now, I'm going to speak for myself that traditionally November 12th to November 18th, I haven't had some of my best hunts then. And I think part of the reason for that is the state usually closes archery season somewhere around the 14th or 15th of November. Last year was the first year that we were open right up until bear season, which is the Saturday before Thanksgiving. And that gave us some new hunting opportunities, but it's a time of year that most of us weren't able to be in the archery woods and experiencing whitetail behavior to the fullest unless you were in certain parts of the state. 
However, I will say that towards the tail end of archery season, I have not had some of my best hunting days and my best hunting experiences. While I have seen deer, I have seen some mature deer. I have not seen the overwhelming amount of rut chasing and activity that leads to my ultimate success in arrowing a deer. So before I get off on a tangent of dates and when you should be in the woods and when you shouldn't, let, let's let's kind of rewind a little bit and go back to that peak time of the 12th to the 18th. And I want to decipher a little bit what that means. And then I want to try to pick apart rut definitions that you might hear in magazines or hunting shows or, you know, all and all of the above, whether it's uh, weather or moon phase or whatever that may be. So let's dig into that for just a second. So I would say the first and the number one rutism that I hear and is completely not true is the moon phase is going to dictate when the rut starts. Well, first of all, before I even go in any technicalities, the distribution of breeding dates that's supplied by the state debunks that because if that were the case you would see an alternate of swings within that I think it's a seven or eight year period of those does being bred there's a reason that the does are bred the same time relatively every year during the peak being mid-November there's those that are bred the beginning of October and the beginning of December but the peak is in mid-November and that's because the gestation period of a white-tailed doe is 200 days and they've got to keep that in the swing of things because you know think about it when you're out in spring gobbler season you're starting to see fawns drop they're all around the same time there's a reason for that that's the way mother nature designed it to be you've got to have that next cycle and that next um, generation occurring at the same time because if they're born too late they're going to not go into winter very well if they're born too early well it's not the end of the world for them it's probably better off because they're going to have a longer time frame of period but if they're born too early um, you could be seeing those late frosts in march and you could have some high stress events plus the lack of cover in springtime is going to be they're going to be more susceptible to predators that time of year if they are born too early so while it'd be better to be born early than late, um, it's still one of those things you have to consider. So, you know, you, you translate that back to the rut, <clears throat> that, that just completely debunks that based on that alone. But anyway, we're going to dig into the moon a little bit. And while the moon, I, I will say this, the moon is going to have some effect on feeding behaviors. There's been a little bit of studies that, that have sort of led to that. There's a lot of hunter observation that swears the moon phase has a lot to do with white whitetail white deer behavior and whitetail deer movement. And I, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole. Um, I'll tell you last year when I killed my deer on October 23rd, it was 75 degrees and it was the red moon which if you look up the definition of that that whole uh, red moon um i don't want to say hype but that that red moon logic the moon is uh overhead and underfoot during the day 
and that has something to do with moon pull and moon phase of deer moving. Um, look into that. Um, I'm not telling you I believe in it. I'm not telling you that I don't believe in it. Um, it's just an observation is all it is. And I killed that deer at 75 degrees on October 23rd, and it was that, that moon phase. Now, was I hunting that deer because of that moon phase? No, not at all. I was hunting that deer because of the prior information that I had to go in and kill that deer. And uh, if you haven't heard that story, uh, go back in our archive and, and check it out. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty cool, interesting story. But the moon phase, in my opinion, was just a bonus if that was a positive thing. That's not the reason I was hunting. So whatever that favorable moon condition is, if you have that favorable moon condition in your mind, and it is the later part of October into the first part of November, there's a good chance that it may have an influence of what movement and activity you see. If you see a buck on his feet and he's putting miles on and he's cruising and he's looking for that first receptive doe, remember we're at the beginning of that bell curve of when does are bred. That means those doe are just starting to come into estrus. The testosterone level is going in you know, it's, it's increasing in those buck. They want to be on the move. They want to find that first receptive doe. They want to breed. They want to pass their genetics on. And I think it makes it very easy to then say the moon phase affected the rut because you're seeing this larger influx of deer movement. Um, it, it had an influence of, of deer on their feet and you saw rut-like behavior. You might've seen a buck cruising or seen a buck chasing doe that doesn't mean that the rut started early. You're just seeing that rut behavior during daylight hours. And there's a couple reasons why you're going to see daylight movement. And I'm going to go into a little bit more depth, but I just wanted to touch on the moon phase for a second. Based on that distribution of dates, the moon doesn't actually affect the rut as, as far as when the majority of doe are bred. It may sway one weight or the other for deer movement. And when you're seeing that larger um, influx of deer movement, but all in all, keep that in mind when you are making your decisions of when to hunt. So let's go on to the next thing I wanted to talk about, and that's weather. I really like to watch the weather. I like to watch for cold fronts. Number one, I like to hunt in them. They're a lot more favorable than sitting on the stand when it's 75 degrees, and I think a lot of people would agree with that. There's a lot of hunters, there's a lot of information out there that says about cold fronts being a very conducive time for hunting, and that's what picks deer movement up. Believe it or not, if you look at a lot of the research done in universities, there is next to no research that supports a larger influx of deer movement in a, during a cold front period than it does any other time of the year. Every, every conclusion states that deer are crepuscular, meaning they move morning and they move evening. And there's no great um, indication of why that may be, you know, why hunters are seeing more deer during a cold front versus any other time of the year. When I was in college, I took a course that was called animal behavior. And one thing that I really took away from that, and I've translated into hunting nowadays, is when you do any kind of research for animal behavior, if you work with a group of participants, you need to have each and every person agree on that animal behavior to the exact time and to the exact um, qualification. And I say qualification, I mean whatever trait you're looking for, whether it's a vigilant trait or um, a whatever behavior term you want to use. 
everybody has to agree on it at the same point and at the same time it occurred. When I did my project, it was on behavior of white-tailed deer and their relative movement or their relative behavior around a predatory scent at a feeding location. And it was extremely hard for my research partner and I to decipher what time frame a vigilant behavior began. <clears throat> and it was kind of interesting. It was eye-opening because the main thing that I concluded, it's hard to quantify in a, num in a numerical value a behavior. So you're talking about a behavior of deer moving more or, or a whether you want to try to pick a distance that they're moving or a certain time of day. It's just really hard to quantify a behavior. So while it can be done, it's not as easy as determining, you know, when the gestation period of a white-tailed doe is and stuff like that. That's a little bit more of a factual concrete number than it is a behavior. So take that for what you will when it comes to determining if a cold front is good to hunt or not. Another thing that I have theoreticized and I believe could be the case. You know, deer, if you look at your cameras, there are times when deer will move more and move less. And this is rut or not the rut. Deer are still rhythmic feeders regardless of the time of year. So I don't really care if the weather is 75 degrees, high humidity, or if it's a 45 degree day with low humidity, you know, lower winds, whatever those conditions are that you find favorable, they're still going to feed and they're still going to be moving. But one thing I have learned is when you look at a cold front and the behavior of a cold front, you have a front pushing through and the beginning or the end of that front, you find more stable winds, you find more stable humidity, you find a lot of other features that are more favorable for a hunter to be in the woods than it is for a deer. Let's say you're going to sit in a food source in high humidity and swirling variable winds. Those conditions are much easier for a deer to smell you and pick you off than it is when you have a higher wind or a, a you know, a change of wind direction that you can adjust stand locations. The low humidity is one thing that I think is really important. I like low humidity because it's a condition where deer are not able to smell you quite as easily. Now, if you've got the wrong wind direction, regardless of conditions, they're going to smell you. But a low humidity is a lot more conducive for a hunter than it is for the deer. And I think that's an advantage to keep in the woods. But those cold fronts causing those stable conditions... I think allow you to be in the woods and not get busted and therefore you see more deer movement regardless of whether or not you believe they move more. So one thing to keep in mind. So I got a little bit on a tangent of moon and weather and we kind of got off of the rut and there was a reason for that. I want to kind of lay a foundation as we go through phases of the rut and the time frame. So let's dig into that for just a second. We talked about peak breeding being the 12th to the 18th. And I was, I was hinting earlier that earlier in the season, that's when I was seeing a little bit better movement. And I think most of us are like that way. I mean, a lot of people take, uh, they, it's termed the rutcation, you know, take a week off the first week of November. Maybe they like the second week of November. Maybe it's October or right around Halloween, whatever that is. Those are good times to be in the woods. They're my favorite times to be in the woods that I live for. But I absolutely refuse to take a long extended leave of absence 
and have the potential to waste vacation days. Now, what I mean by that, I'm still in the rut looking for favorable conditions to be in the woods. As I said, I like those weather conditions like a cold front that I think is favorable for me to be in the woods. I'm still looking for those. Just because it is the rut doesn't mean that I am going to take a two or three day span that is extremely high in rain or it, it got unseasonably warm. I, I don't want to waste a vacation day on one of those days that I think is a lower probability. One of the biggest burnout phases or statements that can be made is you got to be in the woods. It's the rut. Anything can happen. Now that statement could be valid, but if you're hunting a specific deer, you're hunting a specific location, maybe you're confined to borders, you can really burn yourself out and burn your property out if you go in there at the wrong time, the wrong day, even if it's the rut. You know, people, one, one reason I think, and this is the last thing I wanted to talk about with the rut phase, some people don't believe that the rut occurs until that 12th to 18th period of November. And I think part of the reason for not seeing that rut behavior earlier is they burn their property out. They burn their hunts, their stands out. They're hunting them on the wrong days. They're hunting them on the wrong winds. They hunted too early in October at the wrong times. And what happened is you trained the local deer herd and the local doe groups to avoid those locations. Hunting pressure is there. So those deer are still getting bred, but you you move them off of their normal feeding patterns. And just because it's the rut and chasing is occurring doesn't mean rut behaviors aren't occurring. So all that being said, one thing I wanted to tell you is my favorite time historically is the last week of October. We're living in it right now. The last week of October is when I traditionally have the most mature buck sightings, and it's also when I have the most daylight pictures of mature deer. Now, I'm hunting mature deer, and they live in the areas that I hunt. And therefore, if they're close to me, I'm seeing them in daylight hours. I think the testosterone's going up. You're starting to see them looking for that first receptive doe. I think it's, in my opinion, one of the best times to be in the woods. The beginning of November is also a good time of the year. I'm laying this foundation out because this week, as we stand, as it is the last week of of October as we speak, we had extremely high rain event the beginning of the week, and looking to the forecast for the end of this week, we've got a two to three inch rain um, on the weekend, and there's two days during this whole entire week that look conducive for hunting and the possibility that could be good. So instead of me looking back and saying I'm taking the whole week of of uh, Halloween off, I'm taking one day this week, and I'm going to use that day with the wind that's forecasted to get into some of the best stands because the wind direction's conducive for me to be there, and they haven't been sat yet. We've been sitting and soaking and waiting for this exact day, and I think that's going to be a much better way for me to capitalize. Now, if I don't capitalize, I'm going to continue to take that strategy in to the following week in the 1st November. I refuse to take the whole week off. Now, I realize that some of you out there don't have the luxury I have of being able to pick and choose a day on short notice. You have to give your line of work a notice, maybe a week or two, and you've got to give your your vacation days, and there's no adjustment for that. Hopefully, you are able to work with your employer 
and slight your days one way or the other when it's conducive for you. You know, why take a, a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, just because you can hunt this five day long stretch? Why take that if you get there and it is 75 degrees? I'm not saying big deer can't be killed then. They absolutely do. I did last year. But talk about the law of averages. I would say it's a lot lower then than it is on a day when it's conducive for you to be in the woods. So looking into the first week of November, I'm going to take this same strategy. I'm going to take a day or two here and there based on what I have available for good weather days that I want to be in the woods. And it's also going to be based on my family time and my family schedule. As I said to you in another podcast, I really don't want to burn my family out. I know it's a rut, and I know I live for this, but let, let's let's back it up. The, the things that are most important to me in my life is God and my family, and I don't want to burn those things out and push them to the wayside just because it's November and it's archery season, and I want to kill a good deer. Those are Those are important things to me too, but it's not as important as my family, and I think we should all keep that in mind as we burn our families out during fall. I really look at the season as a marathon. I'm not going to really push hard one specific time and give it my all. I'm going to try to give it my all the entire season. And I realize that I, I set the properties up that I hunt to be good any time of the year. I want to make sure I've got food that if I don't kill a deer during this magical rut time, that there's food going into late season. Maybe I can connect on something in rifle season or even in late season near a food source. Um, I, I do, while I don't like to rely on rifle season, rifle season's a great time for me to go out and explore new areas. I like to use rifle season as a time to scout the areas that I've wondered if they'd be a good archery stand, use that information for the following year and be able to still hunt and maybe stand hunt in rifle season and connect on something in one of those areas. So I'm not throwing that off the table, but I'm going to really be methodical in my days. And I, hopefully I laid that out of why and how I'm doing that <clears throat> leading up through the rest of this archery season. Last thing I'm going to talk to you about is stand locations and how I'm treating these next few weeks. The last week of October, I am still sitting on a couple of food plots. Now, I don't have the mindset that a buck is going to come out and feed for very long. In fact, the mature buck that I saw last week, he stayed in the field for a total of 10 minutes and fed, but he was more interested in the other deer that were in the field. And he ended up following a younger buck and chasing him off outside a bow range, and I wasn't able to get a shot. But those food sources are great locations because while the deer might not be interested in food as much as far as the, the buck, they're really not interested in food. They're going to eat here and there it's more along the lines because they're looking for those receptive doe i'm still hunting where doe are and since the majority of doe are not in estrus they're still on that rhythmic feeding pattern of going to those feeding locations in the afternoon and i'm looking for a buck to intercept me at that time as we progress and, and like i said let me backtrack that was in the evening hunt that was an evening hunt and i'm going to continue to have that evening strategy for the rest of the season I'm going to try to find those areas where they may be coming out and feeding and hopefully, you know, intercept a buck. As we progress into the season, I might not be sitting on food sources, so to speak. I might be sitting somewhere really close to those food sources where I can intercept them. I think the longer archery season goes on, the less I see mature buck going into those openings, whether it's a food plot 
or your acorn flat that you're hunting that's an isolated thing or whatever that food source is, I typically see them going into those areas less. They're just cruising the downwind side. So I'm going to try to position some of the stands that we have positioned on the backside of food between a bedding of food. That's how I'm going to hunt those. Now in the mornings, now is the time that I am diving into those morning stands. I talked about in the last podcast of early season strategy, I really don't like to hunt mornings um, unless they are conducive, con- um, they're conducive for me to be in the woods. And I- I've, I've got something patterned on a deer that I-, I know he's moving through in the morning. I find that it's it's not as good early. But now all, all cards are off the table as far as that. Now is the time I really want to be in those bedding locations. Now I'm not saying I'm getting into the middle of things and I'm not saying that I'm pushing myself beyond the limits. I'm still being extremely I'm, I'm still watching the, the wind extremely and making sure I can get in and get out of those locations at the edges of those bedding areas and those travel corridors that I'm not going to bump deer and I'm not going to change where they're bedding. I want them to continue using that location. I just want to hunt the downwind side for a, a deer that's cruising. We are going into the first week of November and there are stands that we haven't even sat in yet. It's not because I don't want to, because I know there's mature deer going past them. I get them on camera, but I haven't had the wind to be in there yet. If I go in there on the wrong time, I could burn that that area out for two, three weeks, and that'd be the rest of archery season. I'm really looking that this week, this this change in wind that we have, it's going to be changing to an east wind. I see myself opening an opportunity to go to a stand and really capitalize in that first part of the morning and, and kill a deer there. So in the mornings, I'm going to be hunting those bedding locations, and I'm going to start to throw a couple of all-day sits in. Now, when I say an all-day sit, that doesn't mean I'm picking one stand and I'm sitting there all day long. I think most locations that you do that is a waste. not saying there aren't stands out there that you can't sit all day and see deer from the beginning to the end of the day, but there's fewer of those than most people make you believe. In the first part of the day, from first light until noon, one o'clock, I'm going to be either hunting in a bedding area or I'm going to be hunting a, a, a what would you consider those traditional rut travel corridors, the saddles and the funnels and the ridges where deer move. All those saddles, funnels, and ridges connect bedding areas or, or on the, you know, it's on the downwind side of a bedding area that a buck might cruise. I'm going to be hunting those cruising locations and usually around that 12 to one o'clock time frame, that's when I'm going to start to decide how am I going to move. I'm going to go on the back side of that and probably hunt on food or close to food. And I'm, I'm going to hunt all day. I'm just going to choose different stands because I think you got to really decide, is this a morning stand or an evening stand? Most stands don't have the whole scope of things with that idea that bedding and food are located differently. And the time of day that deer move to bedding and food is different. So enough of me rambling. I think you guys got an idea and a scope of what I'm looking at. I really want to just make sure you understand, um, and I think most of the listeners probably do, but I want you to think about it. Just because it's the rut doesn't give you the free pass to be careless in how you're hunting. You guys got to be methodical. You guys got to really pay attention to the wind and, and use that to your advantage. Use the wind to get into places that you normally wouldn't, whether it's a high wind and you can sneak or the wind direction changes and you can hunt a different area, a different stand location. You can utilize that 
to be successful be because if you just go with the mindset of it's the rut and anything can happen, I've got to be in that best location. There are times and there are people that are successful doing that and will harvest. But I would say on a 10-year average, if you use that strategy, more times than not, it is going to burn you. And I'm talking about in a 10-year average, I'm trying to kill a deer 70 to 80% of the time. I'm very, I, I try to be as methodical as possible and be as successful as I can because my goal is to fill my tag and I want it to be on a deer that I find mature. And if you have similar goals and you approach it that I've got this traditional stand and I don't care, it's the time of year I need to be there, there are going to be times where it burns you. So keep in mind how those deer are utilizing the areas that you're hunting. You want to keep the doe doing the same thing on a, rhythm, on a rhythmic pattern that becomes so predictable that it's so easy to kill a doe. I think when you have that, if you have that, it makes another advantage for you harvesting a mature buck because this time of year that's all they care about they're relating to the doe if you've got food you've got cover and you've got a pattern there it becomes easier to hunt those rut corridors those rut traveling periods you can burn an area out during the rut you can hunt it too much and cause a deer herd to go nocturnal and that goes back to what i said earlier in this podcast some people believe that the rut phase doesn't occur until you know the 10th to the 15th or that mid-November time frame when peak breeding is. That's because they are seeing the rut craziness where deer are traveling miles and looking for another receptive doe. But they didn't experience what is, in my opinion, the best time of year of late October into early November. And that's because they chased the deer herd or they manipulated the deer herd's behavior and they didn't have mature deer in their area to hunt. I just talked with uh, a hunter this week, and we were talking about the the weather patterns, how it's been unseasonably warm most of October. And he said, yeah, most of the deer that I'm seeing, the mature deer that I want to kill, I'm seeing them in the middle of the night on my trail cameras. They're not even moving. Guys, let me be frank. That is not because they aren't moving until, they're, they're not laying all night long until midnight, and then they're getting up and moving. They are moving they're not moving on your property in daylight. Now, whether that's because of the pressure on the property you hunt, you overhunted it, you know, you did something like that. Whatever those cases may be, the deer is living somewhere else and he is moving in daylight. It's just a shorter distance, maybe based on weather. If it's a warmer, if it's a warmer day, as we said earlier in this podcast, they are going to move crepuscular morning and evening, but the distance they move could be less. So far this archery season, um, between myself and my two hunting partners, we've killed one mature buck opening week on a food source. And myself and my other hunting partner that are left at the property we hunt, we've both seen mature deer in the evening near food sources. Both of the deer that we saw were bedded close to food, and it was unseasonably warm in those hunts. But the, the lines of movement were not disturbed, and those deer felt comfortable to get up and move during daylight hours. Even though they only moved in the last 45 minutes of daylight, we were still close enough to see them. That is happening everywhere throughout the state. So if you're looking at your cameras and you're seeing deer moving in the middle of the night, you need to think about what you need to change that those deer are bedded closer to you, and you can capture that line of movement throughout the season. But that's the reason, in my opinion 
why people will molest the rut. That's another reason why people molest the definition of the rut and when it occurs. The rut is happening now. It is in it is in swing. Whatever swing it is, it is happening. There are deer moving, and you guys got to capitalize, but you got to be methodical. And hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully I gave you some good insight. As I said earlier in this podcast, next week we are going to be diving into something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about some bear hunting strategies, and we're going to be leading us right into rifle season. And hopefully, you know, any of you that aren't archery hunters or, you know, maybe you're turkey hunters or small game hunters or whatever it is, hopefully you're just getting ready for that next phase of the fall and the next phase of, of being a woodsman. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you later. <laughs>